We begin the book of Malachi today. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to that, that's the last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. And uh, I've got a question for you. Do you ever wonder what God wants from you? Like, do you ever wonder how you're supposed to act? Or what you're supposed to say? Or how you're supposed to live? When I was little, I used to think my dad prayed with such big, elaborate, eloquent words. And I thought, boy, I'll never be able to pray like that. I wonder if God wants me to pray like that. I, I didn't even know some of those words. So uh, I was a little concerned. And, and you know right now all of you are laughing because you realize, no, it's not the words we use. It's our heart. And we can just pray in whatever language we normally use and pray to God and ask him for what we need. But... Back then, I wondered what God wanted. I didn't even really know. Today, as we're continuing our series, The Lord Has Spoken, we're beginning the minor prophet of Malachi, and God is speaking through him to the people of Israel. And he's telling them what he wants and where they haven't been doing what he had asked of them. It's the, like I said, it's the old book, uh, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, we don't read about any other place but here in this book. Malachi's name means my messenger. And really, he was the last message God gave through a prophet to the nation of Israel and Judah until many years later, 400, almost 400 years later. Uh, and that was through John the Baptist, that first prophetic message after all these years of silence. And Malachi mentions about John the Baptist. So how cool is that, right? He probably lived in the latter period of Nehemiah's governorship. Remember the book of Nehemiah? Because the issues that are highlighted here in the book of Malachi are the same issues that uh, were in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So we think this book probably took place, was probably written in the mid to late 5th century BC. So with all that knowledge, Let's read from chapter 1 of Malachi, verses 1 through 5 to start with. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated. I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild those ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Lord God, we thank you for this passage that we're going to look at today. Give us wisdom, give us understanding. Holy Spirit, just be in this place today to give us your uh, wisdom and help apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So it starts out by saying it's a prophecy. But when you look in the original Hebrew here, what he's saying actually is the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel. By Malachi and the word of the Lord to the people to his people was like a burden on him because he was grieving what his people were going through it's a word from the Lord Almighty to them and it was like a burden in his heart that he had to share with them 
In the original Hebrew, the word, the Lord Almighty is the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. And these words are written to a people whose hearts are not right before God. I have loved you, says the Lord here. God is reminding them of his care for them, and he reminds them of the history of his love for them and his desire for them to be in a right relationship with him. And the response of the people here is that, well, how have you loved us? It's kind of a challenge to God because God's telling them, I've loved you. And they say, well, how, how's that? And they're asking him to give some kind of a proof, a challenge to God about the love that he's saying he's shown them. And this retort to God shows that their hearts are full of contempt. Because what they're doing here is they're looking at their own prosperity and their worldly glory as proof of his love for them. And when they're feeling like they're not really getting that, they're not getting those things from God, so they're questioning his affection for them, totally ignoring all the sinfulness as having anything to do with their current state. Today we're kind of like that too, aren't we? Uh, when we have lukewarm hearts, not really surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we've removed ourselves by our actions from under his hand by moving away from him, we wonder why things are not going the way we want them to. We're not really following him by the rest of our life, and we're wondering, well, why don't I have those blessings? And we blame God rather than looking at our own hearts to see if we are right with God. That's what these people are doing. He says, I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Now that seems like kind of like unusual that God would say he hated someone. And really what that word means is not that he actually hated Esau, but that he had turned against Esau because Esau had turned against him. And Esau therefore was not chosen because he didn't follow God, but he went his own way. God chose Jacob because he was ultimately the one with the heart who would choose to follow God and do what God had asked him to do. So because of the disobedience of Edom, Esau's descendants, God had judged them. Pastor Steve covered this last week in the message about Obadiah, how God had said he was judging that nation for their disobedience and for how they had treated Israel. Here we learn that what happened was their hill country was turned into a wasteland like a desert, like a place with nothing. A place of jackals, it tells us, where there's no inheritance for the people, but only destruction. But then verse 4 tells us that Edom didn't look at this judgment of God with a heart of repentance. They said, well, even though we've been beat down, even though there's nothing here, we can rebuild. We can return and rebuild. Instead of seeing that they needed to change their hearts, they just wanted to rebuild, basically pick up where they left off. Isaiah 9, 10 through 11 says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. But the Lord has strengthened resin's foes against them and spurred their enemies on. And then in verse 4, 13, but the people have not returned to him who struck them, nor have they sought the Lord Almighty. This is how Edom was treating God. They said, no matter, we'll just redo. 
They don't turn to God, and God allowed this to happen to them because he wanted them to turn back to him. He wanted them to come and repent of what they had done, and they didn't. The Lord Almighty says, they might rebuild, but I'll demolish it. In other words, they rebuild, I'll take care of it again. Until their hearts are right, they'll be called a territory of wickedness. The people against whom Yahweh will have indignation or anger forever. And this wrath of the Lord, this punishment of the Edomites, he says the good that will come of that is that other people will say, great is the Lord. They will see the greatness of God. Even beyond the borders of Israel, it will be seen by everyone's eyes. And the spotlight that the Edomites were wanting to have for their own self-importance and their own thing that they thought they were so great, now is on them as they're destroyed, coming under that judgment of God. If we say that God's judgment in our lives is no big deal, you'll just fix the problem, just rebuild. What that shows is just like with the Edomites, the arrogance and pride of people who wouldn't take the warning to get right with God and continued in their ways of disobedience. So what was the sin of Edom? What do you think? What was the sin of Edom? Pride, Pride, yes. And lack of concern for the people of Israel. Using the misfortune of Israel for their own profit. They even settled in the land after uh, they were taken captive. The Israelites were taken captive. They went in and settled in all their towns. The arrogance and pride about their wealth and their strength. This is the example that God is giving the people of Israel, and then he turns and talks about them. Let's continue reading at verse 6. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you asked, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hand. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple door so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will no, accept no offering from your hand. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, oh, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals, and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? 
Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So he says, well, sons honor their fathers and servants are honoring their masters. And if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? What's interesting here is these two words for honor when God says the sons and the servants are honoring, but where's my honor? They're different. The son and the servant, that word honor means actually to honor, you know, to honor somebody. When God says, where's the honor due me, it means glory. Honor and glory. Where is the glory due me? Where is the respect or reverence that is due to me? And he's saying, the priests, you show contempt for my name. You despise my name, my name, my glory. And they just tell God, how have you loved us? Remember earlier, how have you loved us in this confrontational tone? And now they're saying in that same way, so how have we shown you contempt? How have we despised your name? It's like they can't imagine that this is possibly true. They can't see it. And God tells them, you've offered defiled food on the table of the Lord. And what that means is the altar of the Lord. And God is giving them this opportunity here to repent. But they're just indignant. They're just unwilling to admit that they have done wrong. And by offering these blind, lame, and diseased animals, they're saying that the Lord's table, the altar, is contemptible. It's despised. They're merely going through the motions. Not really offering to the Lord Almighty the sacrifices he asks for or deserves. What he's referring to here is in Leviticus 22, 19 through 22, when Israel came out of Egypt and they became this nation set apart for God, he gave them the way that he wanted them to worship him. And what he said in Leviticus 22, 19, you must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow, vow or as a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place any on, of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. When Moses set up the tabernacle, according to the ways of the Lord, the Lord's instructions, God told the people to bring a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice without blemish, not damaged in any way, perfect. And this is not in Malachi what they are bringing. This is not what the priests are offering to the Lord on the altar. So a question for you, what did that say to God to bring their worst animals to him as sacrifices? It wasn't important. That, that kind of lets you know how, how they look at you, you know, the importance of God in their life. You know, if they bring the lameness, so God is not on the, the top priority. It shows how they prioritize God in their life. God is not on the top priority. 
right? They didn't honor God. They didn't put him first. Their hearts were not open to the Lord. And God says, isn't this wrong? It's a rhetorical question. Of course it's wrong. Isn't that evil to offer lame or sick animals? And then he says, would you give that to the governor? Would you bring the diseased animal, a blind animal, something that obviously looks not very good as a gift to your governor? And most people think that this is probably Nehemiah here. Would you bring this to him? What would he think? Would he be pleased? Would he accept you? Because as you came before rulers, as you came before people in authority, you were supposed to bring a gift. And so he's saying, is this guy going to receive this and say, come on in? And he's saying, what a contrast. Here's the governor, and you wouldn't give a gift like that to him compared to the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and you don't give a, a suitable offering before the Lord. God then pleads with them to repent, to cry out to him for the grace that they needed. But will he accept such offerings as these, these other th offerings that they're giving? And the answer is no, because he told them centuries ago what was required of them. And they've become greedy. They've allowed the greed that they have to overrule their relationship with God. They've kept the best for themselves and given the sick and the lame the worst they had to the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. And God speaks to the priest and said, oh, that you would shut the doors of the temple. And Pastor Steve, if you could put that slide up for me. What he's probably speaking of is this door here down. The temple is the big part of this. This is the temple. He's probably speaking of these doors here because if you would go to the next slide, please. The layout of the temple is this. These are the doors I was pointing to. This is the big temple up in here. When they would come in here, here is the altar. They would come and present the animal here, and the priest would come up the ramp and come to the altar and sacrifice the offering before God. And he's saying, just shut the doors. Why don't you shut the doors? Because of what is happening in my temple. In Leviticus 16, verse 11 and 12, it talks about how Aaron, the priest, shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is ta to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. This is the instruction of the Lord about what to do when sacrifices are made. The animal was sacrificed and was laid on the altar and its blood would drip down onto those coals that were burning there. And they would take, the priest with his censer would take coals from that offering that had the blood of the sacrifice on them in the censer and bring them into the temple before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. And if the blood from a diseased blemished animal is on there and he's coming be the priests are coming before the lord with this how arrogant to bring something like that before the lord of hosts and he says if you would only shut the doors and stop lighting useless fires on my altar 
When you look at that in the Hebrew, it's stop uh, lighting fires upon my altar in vain or out of favor. I won't accept that offering from your hands, God tells them. The priests were guilty of the sin of the people. The same sin pervaded the nation that true love for the Lord was no longer there. And the holy office of the priest had been reduced to a worldly profession, was used as a source of income. It was no longer a calling. It was a job. People who are in ministry today, who are in ministry just as a job, and not because of the calling of the Lord, can fall victim to this very thing, where it becomes a way to get ahead, looking for the spotlight, looking for the big promotion, True servants of the Lord are not looking for a big payday, but they are looking for a way to serve God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. They give to the Lord from pure hearts. They want to see the Lord Jesus Christ lifted high, Him receiving all the glory, Him receiving all the praise, Him in the spotlight, not themselves. The priests of Israel were asked to shut the doors to the temple so as not to perpetuate the sinfulness of the people, giving unacceptable sacrifices and keeping the best for themselves. Actually, what's going on here is the people are keeping the devoted things, the things that actually belong to the Lord. There's an example of this in Joshua, Joshua 7. In verse 1, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Then down at verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua's been praying and asking God, you know, oh Lord, please give us victory. And, you know, they can't understand why they've had this trouble. And he says, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. See, when we take things for ourselves that's supposed to be God, we become liable to destruction. If God says that we're supposed to give back to him out of what he's given us and we hang on to it because we become greedy, then that whole source of income, that whole source of what we have, everything we have becomes liable to destruction. The car breaks down, the refrigerator quits working because we are not giving back to God. The people that Malachi is written to have kept the offerings for themselves. Instead, they've given the sick, the blind, the lame, the blemished animals that they couldn't probably even sell. Uh, they couldn't give it away. It's cast-offs. And they've given it to the Lord God Almighty. So what are offerings supposed to be like for them and for us? Really giving the best. Perfect. First fruits. Yes. 
Exactly. First fruits, give the best, give sacrificially. What is true of God is this. It was true then and it is true now. That God is, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he deserves our best. Malachi 1.11, when he's talking here, I, I want to read this for you in the King James because it just sounds like so incredible. What he's saying is that someday all people will know that I am the Lord God. From the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure, a clean offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God's name will be great among the nations. That's his word to them in Malachi, and that's his word to us today. Then in verse 12, he says, but you're profaning my name. Ezekiel 36, 23 says, I will show you the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Proverbs 30, verse 9 in the King James, King James says, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So he's saying how you've profaned my name and how are we profaning the name? How are they profaning the name? It's by sinful actions. God's holiness is on display when, it, when we are obedient to him, when we actually surrender our lives to him. And these people had profaned the name of the Lord by their sinful ways, by saying that the Lord's table was contemptible. And then he says that the priests are saying, oh, what a burden, what a weariness. And sniffing or sneering is what it means. You're sneering at this. They're like, this is such a burden to do this. Uh, you know, instead of seeing it for the holy thing, the sacred precious duty that it was, they had declared it as a burden. No joy in it and made it a terrible obligation for them. Looking at it from the perspective of a job they no longer really enjoyed, and instead of seeing it as this awesome responsibility that they had to come before the very creator of the universe to offer sacrifices to him, to his great name. When you no longer love God and make him first, you start excusing your behavior. You even sneer at the things you once revered. And you bring the stolen, diseased, and lame things to God. It costs little or nothing to give that. King David, when the judgment was upon Israel, saw the angel of the Lord on Mount Moriah, ready to draw the sword. This was a place of sacrifice. And on that mountain, at that place, was the threshing floor. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, it says, then the king said to Aruna, no, Aruna had said, I will give you this. And he says, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen for 50 shekels of silver. See, there's something about giving that which costs you nothing 
that shows such a lack of love, such a lack of reverence for the Lord God. He says in verse 13 then, should I accept these unacceptable offerings from your hands, says the Lord. Here again, another rhetorical question. They already know. These types of sacrifices, lame, stolen, sick, are not acceptable. And anyone who keeps these for himself, the right sacrifices, the pure, unblemished sacrifice, becomes cursed because they have kept the devoted thing for themselves. And God reminds them of who he is once again. He says, I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared, to be revered among the nations. So as we look at this today, we can say, well, what does God want? What, what can I find out from this about what God wants? Well, the first thing is that we need to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus said that. That means we don't just add Jesus into what we already have and what we do and nothing really changes in our relationship. It means that we repent of our sins. It means that he is the focus of all we do. It even affects how we interact with other people. Even in our jobs, we do that work as if we're doing it for him, for his glory, with honor and integrity, living lives that honor and glorify him, righteous and holy lives with nothing held back, with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. And then what God wants is to give your best to Jesus. Not just the leftovers, but the first and best. If all we do is fill our days with selfish things, then we don't have time for God. Our day should begin with the time committed to him, to read his word and to pray and spend time in his presence, listening to what he puts on our heart for that day. There's a, a saying about how we need to give of our time, talent, and treasure. All of these should be part of our sacrifice to God. Each should be part of what we give the Lord Jesus Christ. Give our best to Jesus. And then third, trust God for the outcome. Uh, part of the reason these people in Malachi 1 gave God unacceptable animals, gave them blind, lame, blemished, even stolen, it says, was because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God. They felt that they had to hoard what they had. They had to be greedy about what they had, and they couldn't afford to give any of it away, not even to God. And so the only ones they would give would be the, the damaged stuff that they couldn't sell anyway. They didn't trust God. And God is saying to them, no, give me of the first fruits, the best of what you have, because then I will bless you. And I will bless the rest of what you have when you give to me first. I am the great Lord Almighty. So love God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. Give of your best to Jesus. And three, trust God for the outcome. Would you stand with me as we close? God wants us to surrender all of our heart, all of our soul and our strength to him, as I've said, not as an obligation, not as a weariness, but as a joy because we have a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. 
So everyone, if you just bow your heads, if God's been talking to you about an area that you need to make right with him, to give all of your who you are to him and trust him with your future, to make that commitment today to give God all and don't give to God what costs you nothing, but to give him your all, give him your best. If you make that commitment today, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor Steve, if you could play that. As this video is playing, I just ask you to just take time, and just pray and commit what you have to the Lord. Lord, we surrender all today. Thank you, Father, for all that you have done in our hearts this morning. We just praise your name. And thank you, Father, that as we give to you from all of who we are, Lord, you take that and use that in Jesus' name.